Well, hello and welcome, Hacker Public Radio listeners, to Phoenix's Student Hacker's Guide to Linux. My name's Aaron, uh, but you guys, as usual, can call me Phoenix. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about rainbow tables and how they can be used to crack passwords. As usual, my podcast is for educational purposes only, um, and it's not that it's not here to teach you how to hack people. Um, <coughs> a little bit about myself. My name's Aaron Finnan. Um, sometimes known as Phoenix. I'm an ethical hacking student at Abertee University, Dundee. I've been doing this for about two, two or three years. I'm also a very passionate Linux user. Um, and I've been the current president of the Abertee Linux Society for about three years now. Um, my show notes will be available on the Linux Society website, which is www thelinuxsociety.org.uk that's www.thelinuxsociety.org.uk and as usual my slides will also be made available my my show notes will also be made available um, at our good friends over at the Linux Basement which is www.linuxbasement.com okay um, the reason that I wanted to talk to you about you know about rainbow tables is I actually find this stuff really interesting um, and you know every geek likes to know something about something and this this is quite interesting stuff um, I mean I own up it's as far from Linux as I could get apart from the prime lesson here is that Unix is not vulnerable to this, these sort of attacks um, I mean this is to do with salting your hashes and all of this sort of stuff which I'll explain at the end um, when I talk about possible countermeasures um, well, that I say that this is as far from Linux as you could possibly get, I do use Ubuntu with a package called Authorcrack um, for cracking land manager hashes, uh, and my examples in my show notes will be be using that as well. Um, Authorcrack is available in the Ubuntu repositories, but I think it's available in the restricted ones. Uh, it's also worth knowing about this type of technology because. WPA is also vulnerable to this sort of attack as well, um, but not as much. Um, what I really want to talk about is it puts the reality of what would seem impossible possible. You can test 7 trillion possible password combinations in minutes with a 99.9% .9 chance of probability when using rainbow tables. And that's just mind-blowing stuff when you think about it. Um, I mean, why would this stuff be of interest to you? Uh, just in case, because I said so isn't enough. Um, personal security. I promise that your views on password security will change hopefully after this talk. Uh, if you've not already adapted strong password security, this should scare you enough to do it. I haven't met anyone that isn't surprised by the power that Rainbow Tables harnesses. Okay. I'll also show that this technology is available to everyone out there. Fingers crossed you'll listen to this, go home and try it, and it will work with ease. And what that will show is that in reality, anyone can do this, anyone that can use Google can password crack using rainbow tables. Like I say, one of the tools that I use is available in the Ubuntu repository, so it goes to show you how easy it is to get a hold of. This can be used against multiple organizations that use land manager hashes, um, and you probably have contact with them, so all that you might not be vulnerable, people that you know could quite possibly be. And if I say, and as I've said before, if you haven't, I hope by the end of this podcast that you'll start to implement a strong password policy. So what I'm going to kind of 
go through today is a little bit of terminology um, talk about the mistake that land manager land manager hashes made and what they're about and how that mistake is sort of been sewn into the fabric of time um, I'm going to talk about how you use rainbow tables um, I'm going to touch a little bit of the science about it I'm going to talk about some of the countermeasures um, and also how rainbow tables are not just for windows hashes um, and other types of attacks that we can use for this as well now terminology is not my strong part and I'm not much of a mathematician either so you know you'll have to bear with me but when I talk about hashes what I'm talking about is a hash is kind of like a short identifier fingerprint of something more complicated <coughs> hashes are produced using a one-way mathematical function they're used in like database systems and security and cryptographic systems as well they used to store passwords I mean in English they're unique like your fingerprint and they can't be reversed like you know like one plus one is two you can't you know you can reverse that mathematical function you can't reverse a hash uh, it's been used in security for a long time but it's also been a way of verifying data integrity as well I'm sure plenty of people have downloaded distributions and you'll see that there's a, a check some MD5 hash that you can calculate to make sure that your disk that you're downloading has not been corrupted or hacked or something like that as well so you could you know the author puts up what the the hash is um, and then you can check that across I mean, I'll talk about how we use that in passwords and in, in operating systems um, I'm also going to talk about lookup tables uh, in computer science a lookup table is a, a data structure usually an array or an associative array and often used to replace runtime com running time computations um, it just means that there's less processing time being used at the time uh, and the memory is easy to, the, the answer is easy to pull out of the memory once uh, you know this lookup table is loaded um, I'm also going to talk about reduction function. It's not easy to explain, but well, okay, it's not easy for me to explain. Is probably the fairer part. Uh, I mean, I'll try, but you you understand that understanding a reduction function is not pinnacle to today's episode whatsoever at all. In essence, it's a way of solving a complex problem by turning it into a simpler problem. Um, it either sounds like I'm making sense or it sounds like I've been smoking something to be honest with you but the reality of it is is a reduction function is a way of changing one complex problem into another simpler problem and if you keep on reducing the problem eventually you'll find a you'll find a way to solve it and you know like I say it'll either make sense to you or it won't uh, but as I say it's not pinnacle that you understand this to being able to use rainbow tables so don't panic if I've done enough job of explaining it I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that know kind of a little bit more about it now what I really want to do is set kind of set the scene uh, I mean you have to remember in the beginning there was a world without passwords and uh, computers were a resource that was shared they weren't cheap um, there were big mainframes and people went and spent time in front of it then eventually someone decided that they needed to protect their system from unwanted users and you've guessed that passwords were implemented um, and as the word says you know password if you get the word right you pass through uh, and that's the, the it's not really rocket science um, a good old friend uh, Stallman had 
you know, he has a famous talk, you know, I'm sure you'll be able to find it online about how he was at the uh, artificial intelligence lab at MIT and they implemented passwords and he hacked the password database. Um, it's very interesting. I'm sure you'll find it on Google video or something like that. Thing is, the problem with locks is is that they have to be unlocked with a key, or and if they have to be unlocked into a key, they can be tricked into thinking they're being unlocked with the right key. Um, you know, lock picks tend to trick a lock depending on the skill of the picker. You know, and in in reality, you lock a door. Humans always want to know what is behind it. Well, in the computer terms, it's a sequence of characters that can be cross-referenced with a particular user to verify their identity. That's the lock and that's the key. The lock is the system saying no. The key is your sequence of characters that the computer knows that if you tell it that, that it should let you through as that user. Um, with everything that's tangible, you know, it, it can be recreated or simulated in computing. Um, you know, much so what we can do is we can simulate the sequence of characters and that will let us through the door um, it's not really you know like I say it's not really rocket science I mean the problem lies that in the reality you need to store the character sequence on the computer so it can be cross-referenced against the user now basically what we're saying the plans for the key are on the system uh, does someone could just look at, at this this character sequence and say oh I know your password not so bad if it was your family but if you're in an organization and you want people to use individual accounts you don't want people to be able to look up other people's passwords so we need to find so, so there was a we need to kind of find a way of storing the plans to this key uh, onto the system without it being understandable to the user and what I mean by that is that we can't go and look it up and say, oh, I know your password is password. Um, we need to be able to store it on a system so that if anyone looks at it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and this is kind of where hashes come into to, to their fruition. Uh, I mean, a hash can't be reversed. Um, they store the hash. When a user inputs their password, it's converted into the hash. And if the two hashes match, then then they come. And if they don't, you keep on retrying pretty clever if you think about it because what this means is the computer never stores the password on the system what the computer does is store the hash so you input your password it puts your password through the hashing function and if the two hashes match in you go if they don't you don't get in so it's very very simple but it's very very clever because like I said before we don't have to store the actual password on the system but the problem really lies is that humans have a problem of remembering complex things so we all tend to you know people tend to use simplistic passwords um, you know stuff that that are words that are easy to remember um, and in in reality you know you, you a system that relies on a human being is always vulnerable to the human factor and something to remember uh, I mean you know the problem really lies in here that with enough force locks will always be broken um, so we can if we go back to remembering this human factor of not being able to not storing you know using passwords that are easy to get or part of the dictionary we can start brute forcing the lock until it eventually opens um, it doesn't have 
you know, and that's basically the first way, the first kind of attacks used against breaking password security was just to basically make a list of possible passwords, basically a dictionary, um, and keep on trying those possible combinations until the password hashes the right one, two hashes match, and in you go. The more complex, the harder it is for people to, to remember. So humans tend to choose the path of least resistance. So they always choose something easy to remember. And if it's easy to remember, then it's even easier for us to guess. And that's something to remember as well. So as you can imagine, the countermeasure really to this was to start storing passwords that were not in the dictionary. Um, alphanumerics, so password one is not going to be in a dictionary. It's still very guessable, um, but if you start separating words with letters and replacing l characters with special characters, what you'll find is they're not in a dictionary, they don't become easy to guess, um, and, and it takes more and more and more time to start brute forcing this lock. Um, so as I say, password policies started implementing that you need to use alphanumerics and, and, and whatnot. We've all seen them bef before. So we go back to how these are stored on the system and I spoke earlier on about LAN manager hashes or LM hashes for short. Um, this is a mistake that's pretty much been sewn into the fabric of time and as ideas go this is probably a, 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 this is probably a stinker of all ones. Our uh, good friends at, at uh, at Richmond think tank that we lovingly call Microsoft uh, came up with this. In fairness, I don't think anyone could have guessed um, the, the knock-on effects that this mistake would have had. Um, but I'll explain what a land manager hash is. Um, well, I explain how you get a land manager hash, how Microsoft do it. Um, they take a password and they convert it all up in, into all uppercase characters. Um, so if you know you had a capital P, a lowercase a, a capital S, a lowercase s, a, cap a capital W, a lowercase o, a capital R, a lowercase d, then the password would become password all in uppercase. Uh, if it's longer than seven characters, they'll divide it into two uh, sections containing seven characters. So if we took the word password, the first would be P-A-S-S-W-O-R, then they would get another uh, they would get they would split into another plate containing the D and the rest would be f uh, filled with space um, then they hash each part individually um, and then put the two together and they call that a land manager hash um, it's a very simple explanation I'm sure that some of you guys you know will, will think that's a really layman's version but it, in essence is is, is how it's done um, so what's so wrong with doing it that way well first, converting everything into uppercase cuts the possible combinations down uh, massively um, by, a, by a factor of 26. Also, the hash for an uppercase password and the hash for a lowercase password will generate two different, two different hashes. So by capitalizing everything, we knock a, a factor of 26 off the possible character set. Um, so if we had the whole possible character set, including capital letters, there would be 95 keys on most keyboards to choose from. Um, by uppercasing everything, you cut that down to 69. Splitting the hash, splitting the password into two has the following sort of consequences. 69 to the power of seven is a hell of a lot less than 69 to the power of 14. 
Um, 69 to the power of 7 works out about 7 trillion possible combinations. By in comparison, 69 to the power of 14 is about 50 55 septillion possible combinations. And trust me, that is a real word, septillion. It's S-E-P-T-I-L-L-I-O-N. Um, as I say, we're able to attack both halves independently, uh, which means that we are only ever cracking a seven-character password, regardless of the length of the password. If the character, if the password is you know, 14 characters, we're still cracking two seven-character passwords. And as I say, they can be cracked independently. Um, but however, don't get me wrong, seven trillion is still a really big number. Um, but splitting it up into two bits makes the process really simple for us. Um, and in reality, this has been, this mistake has been etched in time. Um, for backwards compatibility. Um, all Windows systems have the ability to store the passwords as, as line manager hashes. However, in Vista, this option is turned off by default um, and in XP it's turned on by default. Um, so they are trying to phase out, but it's going to take a long, long time for this to be to be done. I mean, the idea of the trade-off is really simple. If we have enough time, we could generate all the possible hashes of up to seven characters. Um, we could store them and use them time and time and time again. Okay, it takes very little memory to brute force each seven-character combination. However, it takes a lot of time to do it. Uh, if we store all of these possible character combinations, these seven trillion possible seven-character passwords, and we see that each password takes up about 21 bytes of data, okay. If we multiply that by about 7 trillion, I'll give you a rough idea of the amount of space required to store it. Uh, it's somewhere in the region of 145,000 terabytes of storage you would need, um, which is still pretty unreachable for most people in today's standards now. Um, but there is an answer, uh, and this is using the time memory trade-off. We do some of the hard work first. Um, we do a lot of the mathematics at the beginning. In essence, we trade time memory and space um, and we find a happy medium so I mean why was you know what if I told you there's a way that we could cheat here that we could store all seven trillion possible password combinations without actually having to store the physical seven trillion possible combinations and this is where this reduction function that I talked about earlier on comes into essence um, we store the start like the plain text passwords at the start, we put it through a reduction function seven times and we store the final output and then we just delete everything in the middle. Okay, uh, And what happens th with this is that what a rainbow table in essence does is takes the hash, looks at the end of this chain and if it finds a match then it knows what the password is. If it doesn't find a match at the end of this chain then it, then it uses a reduction function on the hash and moves along the column until it finds the right possible combination. It just means that we're able to store huge amounts of possible data without actually physically storing the, the data. You know, And if we find that it's going to be in that chain then we can just unfold that whole chain and find the answer and that in essence is what a rainbow really does and we store a lot less data and we do a lot more of the computations at the beginning but it means that we have this data set that we can use time and time and time again 
I mean, like I say, my show notes will have, will have a little bit about the time memory trade-off if you want to find out any more. Uh, obviously, a quick Google uh, and you'll find lots of more information there as well. So in essence, you know, what is a rainbow table? Well, it's basically, imagine this massive lockup table full of all the possible combinations. Um, lots of chains side by side. Um, like I said, you cut the middle out and then you store the beginning and the end of the chain. Okay, uh, So you're left with the answer and the last computation in the chain. From that, if, you, if it's not in there, we can work back the chain and use some of the, the, the processing time at the time, use some of the memory that we have on the system and work out the password if it's likely to be in that chain. Um, so we're not having to generate thousands and thousands and thousands of possible wasted processes cycles working on something that that's not going to be an answer here. We're, we're, we're limiting our search to that physical set there. I mean, in essence, it sounds pretty simple, but you know, it it, it takes a you know it takes a while to takes a while to generate these tables. Um, there was a guy called Philip. Uh, I think his name is Philip Oshlin. I'm terrible at pronouncing surnames, so I hope he doesn't take any offence. Um, but he kind of came up with this idea, uh, and he went and worked on the author crack kind of software, which made this all you know available. Now. What I did, um, and I'll make these notes available, is, as I said, I downloaded a copy of Authorcrack from the Ubuntu repositories. Um, and then I also downloaded um, uh, 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 some hash files. Now, there's lots of software that you can use to capture Land Manager hash files. Uh, I think it's PW, uh, PW Dump, I think the program's called. Um, where you can basically get the hashes, but where a hash is normally saved on a Windows system, I think it's uh, uh, system32 config and I think it's a SAM file, S-A-M, I've talked about that the last time when I did changing Windows passwords. Um, as I say, I, I mean I installed a, a copy of Offcrack on my laptop and from the same website I was able to download uh, a set of rainbow tables uh, that had a 99. What 99.9 percent .9 chance of cracking these passwords? I was able to put in this 32, these 32 hashes that I, I'd got off this site for for testing purposes. They were made available. I'm sure you can find them online. They'll, they'll be available in my notes as well. And with this table, I was able to crack nearly all of the passwords on a, a low spec system in about 10 minutes. Um, it was pretty phenomenal stuff. That size of the table is only 710 megabytes, um, so you know it's pretty easy. It's about the size of a distribution when we think about it. Very easy to do. Now, to basically have all the possible passwords, all the possible character sets, um, the actual rainbow table size is only 64 gigabytes. Um, so basically, to crack nearly any land manager hash which is pretty much any Windows system bar vista you'd be able to download a set of tables um, that are 64 you know 64 gigabytes in size I mean it's in this day and age you can buy a terabyte hard drive for 99 pounds and you know so it's not not unavailable to everyone um, the, the beauty about using Linux is is that we 
we're not susceptible to this sort of attack. We use something called salting your hashes. So even if we had the land manager hash thing, which we, we don't, but even then we would take this password and then we would use what's called a salt, which is something on our system unique to our system, okay, um, to generate our hashes from, which would mean if we were needing to generate rainbow tables to hack Linux systems, what we would need to do is find the salt of the system, what the system is using to salt, and then generate all those tables. Now, the 64 gigabyte data set that I was talking earlier on, the rainbow tables, takes two years to compile. Okay, so if you had to do that every time you wanted to hack a Linux system, you can imagine it's just it's not worth doing, and hopefully someone would change the password by then. Um, You know, nearly all other operating systems actually employ something like this, which is, apart from Microsoft, um, they don't seem to sort their hashes at all, which is very strange, but stuff like you know, OpenBSD does, Linux does. I think OpenBSD sorts its hashes with, I think, 128-bit salt, which, you know, gives you a massive idea about how long it would take to to generate these tables. Now, some of the possible other countermeasures to this as well is that if you think that the time it takes to compute these tables um, kind of goes up dramatically the minute that you pass 14 characters the time it's just a huge amount of time so if you employ a password that's longer than 14 characters um, it's a good start you see in a Windows system if you use a password that's longer than 14 characters it will have to be stored as an NTLM hash which doesn't get split, which doesn't get capitalized, it means that you're not going to be susceptible to these to, to this rainbow attack. Um, but when we we talked about password security at university, one of the things that we kind of really bang the drum about is actually passphrases are a lot better than passwords. Um, lots of reasons. Uh, a passphrase will generally take you past 14 characters, but it also makes it very simple to remember as well. Because if you think about spaces, spaces are a character as well. So if you use something like my pass, you know, my space bank space password space is space this, this will take you through a huge amount of possible combinations um, compared to if you had a password of only 14 characters or something like that. So passphrases are a far more secure way of securing something they're also incredibly easy to remember so you know you could use you know people as i said earlier on humans tend to take the path of less least resistance so say you're going to choose a password that's based on your your favorite football team um uh, for me it's going to be very easy for me to sit back and say all right that guy supports rangers so i'm going to try rangers one rangers two rangers three rangers four blah 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 now what happens with a passphrase is we could do something like the sentence my favorite football team in the world is Rangers it's going to be incredibly hard to guess and it's going to be incredibly hard to set up rainbow tables so you're going to need you know petabytes of data to store the, the possible sequence in that so you know one of one of the the good countermeasures here is to remember that that using a passphrase is easy to remember brings up a huge amount of characters involved and it's easy to type. I mean that's the requirement for a good password really. Easy to remember, long and easy to type. Well that's why a passphrase is probably better than a password.
there are other uses for rainbow tables as well um, they can use they can be used to crack lots of different tables as well there is a there is rainbow tables for the NTLM hashes the MD5 hashes the SHA1 hashes um, but they can also be used for hacking WPA PSK as well uh, not to the same extent because um, when what happens for, for, for the hashes for that is that they are generated using the SSID uh, as well so you know you need to know the SSID then you need to generate the rainbow tables um, and they're each generated off each SSID um, now there is a list of the thousand most popular SSIDs um, and pound to a penny, Belkin 45G will be up on the top there and so on and so forth. But as I say, it's kind of a, a type of salt. So if you use a very individual SSID for your wireless router, chances are you're, you're not going to be vulnerable to a, to a WPA, uh, to a rainbow attack on your WPA. Um, I think the data set for a WPA rainbow table is about 500 gigabytes. So it goes to show you, you know, you, you need a lot of bandwidth. Now, the other thing to remember with rainbow tables as well, and I apologize because it just dawned on me that I haven't mentioned it before. Most of these rainbow tables are available for download. You don't need to generate 64 gigabytes of data. You can actually download them. Um, there's also a lot of websites online like uh, freerainbowtables.com um, that have you know massive, massive, massive rainbow tables that you can download via torrent and that you don't need to pay for or anything like that so that's always worth remembering as well um, I mean every like I say every possible character set for the LM hash total 64 gigabytes I mean it's you, you know so within the reach of everyone it's unbelievable the software we use gen to generate these tables and to use these tables and to store these tables is for most parts free and available on the internet as well um, and as I say, I'll have lots of links available in my show notes. So if the, if you are interested, please come along to LinuxSociety.org.uk uh, and have a look at the slides and the show notes that I've got for this. Uh, so, kind of in closing, Google is your friend when it comes to searching. Um, if you find an MD5 hash, why don't you put it into Google? Um, this sounds really strange, but Google is this in reality this massive storage engine out there it's not just a search engine if you take like the MD5 hash for foobar and stick that into Google it will tell you that it's an MD5 hash for, for, for foobar uh, not all of them will be in there but uh, I think there was a story about how uh, how a website was hacked and the, the, the guy couldn't understand how he'd done it um, you know, he managed to get the MD5 hash, but it just didn't work out how, how he worked out what the password was. And in the end, what had happened is the guy had taken the MD5 hash and stuck it into to Google, and you know, someone had already cracked it, and there was the password. It took seconds to do. Um, but it sounds stupid, but I have to say this to every, everybody every day, you know, lots of people every day. When it comes to finding out stuff, use Google, you're going to find the answers there. Um, the information has been out there for a long, long time on this. This, I think, this technology is 10, 15 years old. Um, passwords are always weak, regardless of the hashing algorithm. If you use something that's simple to remember or simple to guess, 
then you're always going to, regardless of what's used, you're always going to be vulnerable to someone going, I guess your password is. So remember, try and use phrases. They're very, very hard for people to guess. They're incredibly hard to generate tables for uh, and should kind of take you off this you know take you off this attack remember you should always try and make your password over 14 characters long it makes the computation times for generating tables virtually you know virtually impossible you know when you start using 18 and 19 character passwords they're incredibly hard to guess they're incredibly hard to generate tables for as well uh, and as I say never let Microsoft choose security for you it's your job to choose your security it's your job to investigate what's the best for you uh, as I say all of my notes about how you can go about using rainbow tables and some of the, some of the stuff that I've got will all be available on my on our Linux Society website and also on the Linux basement as well uh, so hopefully you're gonna have enjoyed this episode today and go out and play uh, and use this technology. Now remember, don't steal someone's hashes and crack them. You'll be breaking the law if you do that and you could face the jail, okay? Um, so that's Phoenix Student Hacker's Guide coming to an end for, t for, for this month. Uh, before I go, I would like to um, do a big shout out to my friend Chad Wallenberg over at the Linux Basement, who'll be coming up to episode number 30. So he's, he's dirty 30. Happy birthday over there, you guys. Chad, you've done a fantastic job, um, and let's hope the next 30 is just as good as okay. Uh, anyway, thanks very much. Uh, this has been Phoenix Student Hacker's Guide to Linux. Uh, this is Phoenix signing off. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by Caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.